0: Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the HeadCast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. This is my mostly monthly HeadCast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So, sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. And welcome to episode 47 of Head Speaks. Getting closer to our 50th episode. I want to thank you all for being here. So, let's go ahead and get started with today's segment. than a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is What's in Heads Long Box. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest Super for friends. So, this month in What's in Heads Long Box, uh, we've been looking at the Armageddon 2001 crossover, but we're taking a break this month. Because I've been asked to join a special uh, group of podcasters. Every year the last several years, during the month of May, a bunch of uh, podcasters get together and they do a a special crossover that they call J.L. May. This year, they're going to be looking at the Blackest Night crossover from DC Comics. And I'm joining in. Me and several of my shows, actually. So... Let's hold on just a second. Before we get started with my show, what you need to do is check out the first four parts of the Blackest Night crossover. So what you need to do is pause my show and go check out the other shows. You want to start with the podcast of OA. I never know how to pronounce that. They're looking at the Blackest Night number zero. Then go over and look for Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. Which is looking at Blackest Night number one. The Idlehead of Diablo is looking at Blackest Night number two. And the Fire and Water podcast is looking at Blackest Night number three. Also, in addition to those, the podcast of Oa is going to be looking at Green Lantern number forty three. The Idlehead of Diablo is looking at Green Lantern number forty four. And over here on our network. Uh, Last week, we covered Suicide Squad 67 and The Secret Six, 17 and 18, over on Task Force X, episode number 45. Also on our network, on the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, episode 25, we looked at Starman number 81. So go check out all those shows. I know it's quite a bit. Check them out. I'll be waiting here for you. When you're done with that, come back here and we're going to look at the next episode or the next issue. Okay, you guys done? Very good. Uh, Now we're back. This time we're going to look at the next issue, Blackest Night number four. The cover date was December of 2009. The on-sale date was October the 21st of 2009. The cover price was $3.99. This actual story didn't have a title. The writer was Jeff Johns. Penciler, Ivan Reese Inker, Eau Claire Albert. Also, Joe Prado. The letter was Nick J. Napolitan. Colorist, Alex Sinclair. Editor was Eddie Bronga, Bronga, Bronga. Messing up, sure. And the cover credits was Ivan Reese and Eau Claire Albert. And there was an alternative cover by Randolfo Milagari. I usually don't talk much about the alternate credit co- covers, but the alternate cover to this one had a uh, cover of The Atom, who was one of my favorite heroes, you guys may know. So I had to mention that one. Uh, this was reprinted in The Blackest Night number 4 Variant A and Variant B in 2009, The Blackest Night Hardcover in 2010, and The Blackest Night Trade Paperback in 2011. The credits I just read off, as usual, come from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, The synopsis I'm about to read comes from dc.fandom.com. The story continues from the previous issue, where we see The Flash in Washington, D.C., fighting against the Black Lantern Justice League. Meanwhile, in Coast City, we see Black Hand walking across the cemetery by the graves of Green Lantern, Hal Jordan's parents, Martin and Jessica Jordan, while talking to the voice of death. As that's happening, we see Mara and the Atom Facing off against Hawkman and Hawkgirl, who were resurrected as Black Lanterns after being killed by the resurrected Elongated Man and his wife, Sue Dibby. They find out that the Indigo tribe teleported Green Lantern away so he can rally together the other Green Lantern Corps. Or they're the other Lantern Corps. The different ones, a bunch of them. Uh, they find the source of the Black Lantern rings and destroy them. Flash tells them that in the meantime, they need to protect Earth until Hal, retur- until Hal returns with the other Lanterns, and that they need to bring all the heroes up to speed on what's going on. When he asks where Firestorm is, Firestorm appears, except for it's not the Firestorm that we all know of. It's actually Ronnie Raymond, the original Firestorm, who's been resurrected as a Black Lantern, along with many others like him. The Black Lanterns chase after Mara, Flash, and the Atom, with Black Lantern Firestorm leading the charge. Ronnie tells Barry that he's absorbed Jason into the Firestorm Matrix, allowing him to access his full powers. However, Jason tries to fight back against the Black Ring and brief- briefly takes control of Firestorm's body long enough to tell the three heroes that Ronnie killed his girlfriend. Jason also tells him that the Black Ring is calling for him and the rest of the heroes and that they need to evacuate Earth. But Ronnie regains control of the Firestorm body, then Aquaman, recently turned into a Black Lantern, attacks Mera with the other Black Lanterns. Barry uses his power to create a force of wind to hold them back, adding this to a phone and dials 911, taking them through the phone line to the police station. Meanwhile, over in Gotham City, the Scarecrow listens to the fear in the people around him, but wants to fill it too. Wants to fill it too. Nearby, Azrael also resurrected as a Black Lantern kills a nearby civilian with his blade and goes after the Scarecrow, but because he cannot feel fear, he is considered to be invisible to the Black Lanterns saying that nothing scares him, only by Batman. In Metropolis, deep inside LexCorp, we see Lex Luthor monitoring the Black Lantern Corps and talking with Calculator on the events going on around the world. He tells Calculator that he's far from concerned. It's every man for himself when it comes to going up against the Black Lanterns. Back in Washington, D.C., the Black Lanterns are searching for Barry, Adam, At the police station, Flash gets all the people to stay indoors and be calm, telling them that the Justice League is handling the situation which Adam points out as a lie. Mara feels that they should find Superman and Wonder Woman, but for the time, Flash tells Adam and Mara that they are Superman and Wonder Woman, respectively. Mara doesn't feel that way considering she's lost her husband and her son to the Black Lanterns. Ray has been through a lot with his wife and with what happened to Sue, but he needs to get over and fight back. Barry tells him that they need to take charge and attack the Black Lanterns because that was what they were born to do. While the Flash warns everyone what's going on, Adam takes Mara again through the phone line to get in touch with Mr. Trivick, saying that Alan Scott will be with him and to get his help on destroying the Black Lanterns. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, we see the Justice Society facing off against members of the Freedom Fighters who were killed. As that's happening, Adam and Mara emerge from one of Mr. Trivick's T-seaters asking for Green Lantern. As they're doing that, Barry gets in touch with all of their heroes, including Wonder Woman, the Teen Titans, Green Arrow, and Black Canary telling them about the Black Lanterns and what they're doing. He tells them that until HAL destroys the source of the Black Lantern rings, it's their duty to hold the line until then. Also, that these Lanterns feed on all kinds of emotions, so they need to keep their feelings in check. Good luck with Ollie on that one. And finally, he tells them that they need some heroes to have the ability to generate intense light, powerful enough to at least weaken the rings, long enough for them to be destroyed conventionally. Back in Coast City, we see Black Hand talking to the skull of Bruce Wayne, as the charge of the Black Lantern rings come close to reaching 100%. As Barry is running, he's contacted by Wally and Kid Flash, telling him that they're also spreading the word to the other heroes, and Barry tells them to go to wherever there's trouble. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, the Justice Society, along with Adam and Mara, continue to face off against their dead members, who have been resurrected as Black Lanterns. Green Lantern tells Adam that his ring is not connected to Central Battery Monoa, and therefore, it doesn't operate the same as the rings of the Green Lantern Corps. But he tries anyways. This gives Mary the opportunity to use her water powers to drown the Black Lanterns, but it's ineffective, as the Black Lanterns continue to attack them. Damage and Atom Smasher are attacked by their father, Al Pratt, the original Adam. Adam attacks Atom Smasher while Ray shrinks himself and jumps into Adam's body, leaving Damage to face off against his father. They match each other blow for below, until Ray enlarges himself, ripping Adam in half telling Damage that they're going to do things his way, meaning that they continue to beat them down until they are stopped, to which Damage has no problem with. However, Damage is killed and his heart ripped out by Ray's wife, Jean Loring. At that instant, the Black Lantern rings register their power levels 100%, causing pain to Barry as the next phase in the plan of the Black Lantern Corps begin. We then see the scarred guardian on the planet, Ra'ut, in Sector 666, in front of the Black Lantern Central Power Battery, as the battery teleports to Earth, specifically Coast City. Barry finds himself on the outskirts of the city, and tells Wally and Bart to come to Coast City as fast as they can. He then finds Black Hand and goes after, only to be blown away by an explosion caused by the Black Lantern Central Power Battery appearing in front of him. Then, Black Hand commands his master to raise Barry Then sees a Black Lantern power battery rising from the ground on a scythe being held by a hand. As that's happening, Barry asks Hal where he is. As thousands of Black Lantern rings fall to the ground in the cemetery around Barry, the Guardian of the Black Lantern Corps tells Barry his life belongs to him. Necron, the Lord of the Unliving. To be continued. So, let's go ahead and get my thoughts on the issue. As I normally do, and as it's appropriate, we'll start with the cover. Okay, first we're with the main cover. The main cover we show, uh, what's the name, Copperhead. Front and center, I'm sorry, it's a fight. black as night, Copperhead. Behind him we have, at first I thought it was Rick Flag, or not Rick Flag, uh, Max Lord. But actually, I think it's somebody else. We'll find out here in the issue, I believe. I think the bug-eyed bandits in the background, maybe Kilowog. Dr. Light we see. Uh, we see a bunch, and it's kind of hard to tell because they got Black Lantern costumes on at this point, so it's kind of hard to make out who they might have used to been. In fact, it's kind of funny. I almost I want to say Slipknot because he's got a rope around it. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that goes back to Maxwell Lord. I'm pretty sure that's Maxwell Lord. They're in the front next to Copperhead. All right, the next cover I did I don't normally talk about multiple covers, alternate covers on these, but I'm going to talk about the alternate cover on this one because I really like it. Uh, we show Adam Smasher. About ready to eat the Atom. Get an Atom Smasher. I believe it's Atom Smasher. Uh, he's a zombie fight. He looks like he all destroyed in his costume. His mask is all ripped. And he's got Ray Palmer the Atom in his hand. About ready to eat him. Again, the main reason I'm discussing this one is because, again, as you may know if you listen to my show, I'm a big Ray Palmer the Atom fan. So anytime he shows up, I, I love it. Uh, this is a very good cover. I like this one a little better, mainly because it's got Ray Palmer on it. Uh, but they're both very good covers. I enjoy both of them. But yeah, I just like this a little more because, like I said, it has Ray Palmer on it. Uh, for the story itself, uh, I gave the synopsis already, so I'm just going to go through give my thoughts on the actual story lies. Uh, first story, pa- first page, we start out with a nice page of uh, Flash. And it looks like he may get it by some lightning. It's quite, or maybe he's being thrown, because we do see Green Arrow's quills behind him. And Green Lantern's arrows... So, it actually looks like he's being thrown into a display case of uh, weapons and what have you. Well, we coast, coast City, we see somebody we don't know who it is yet from this. Get this first book you picked up, maybe not who it is. I'm pretty sure it's Black Hand, and he's walking by the graves of Martin and Jessica Jordan, which I believe is uh, Hal's parents. And throughout the book, we get the power levels 93.55% and. It's rising. We see every so often we see the power level, it's rising a little higher. And we're showing the, the Black Lantern power levels as they're raising up to 100% as their their uh, job, as their, their mission comes into full focus and full power. That's what I'm looking for. And here, in case you're just joining us, we get Mara, the Flash, which is Barry Allen, and Ray Palmer, the Adam talking. And they're kind of catching us up. They're saying, you know, Mayor's letting us know that the lan- Indigo Lanterns claim they can only neutralize the Black Rings with a Green Lantern. Yet they hit Cal Jordan away. And Ray's telling them that, well, they, they prioritized. They need how to rally everyone together and pull the plug on the main source of the Power Rings. And Wally, or Wally, Barry's like, where's Firestorm? And then we see the, the Black Lantern Firestorm come flying over, leading a bunch of other Black Lanterns. And again, I could guess at some of these. Some of these I'm not sure about. Uh, We do see Black Bison, which is a Firestorm character. Uh, Looks like Kilowog, Doctor Light from the Suicide Squad. Again, for anyone on my Task Force X podcast that's listening, we get Doctor Light here. Uh, We get someone stretching. I wonder if that's supposed to be Elastigirl from the Doom Patrol. Uh, We see so it looks a little bit like Valour. It looks like to me. I'm not quite sure on that. Uh, we I believe that's the Bug-Eyed Bandit there. Copperhead, which was on the cover. And again, a lot of deceased people that, that's been turned into Black Lanterns. Uh, There's a very nice page. Like I say, this is uh, Ivan Reese doing the, the pencils. And we get Eau Claire Albert, which I'm not sure who that is offhand. But Joe Prada is the inks. Uh, Reese and Prado, if I'm not mistaken, were both working on the Aquaman book when it relaunched. And they do a magnificent job. I, I love their artwork. So yeah, this is a very what else I may have to say about this book. The artwork in this is very nice. Here on the ball we get the flash. He's kinda of spinning around real quick, so we get to a front view of his head and then a back view of his head. He's looking all the the uh black lanterns coming towards him. Almost missed it, but I see the fiddler back there it looks like. Who I talked about over on my uh Task Force X podcast. Yeah. I talked about him over my Task Force X podcast when he showed up in there. Um, this one, I think this may be Killer Frost here. Yeah, it looks like Killer Frost, another Firestorm villain. Again, as a Firestorm fan, I love seeing the Firestorm characters uh, show up. And as Flash runs away, we get Firestorm, who is the reincarnated Ronnie Raymond, who has absorbed Jason Rush, who is the current Firestorm. And if I remember, I. F- I don't remember if it was in the main book now, or if it was, I think it was probably in Firestorm's own book. Ronnie came back, absorbed Jason into the, the Black Lantern Firestorm, and then they used his powers to kill Jason's girlfriend, Jenna. And I do like this here. Again, the pages aren't numbered, and I don't like that. Uh, but it looks like it's page five or so, where we get Fire, uh, Flash running through the kitchen, Fire, Firestorm, Black Lantern Firestorm is chasing him. And, uh... Again, we get that power indicator set at 9388 percent And we get a firestorm talking. And we hear he's talking to Jason in his head out loud. <laughs> I'm like He's like, willpower now, Jason? Pfft, it's useless. Banging heads with me. But I'll take it. And he's like, "Now, nah, where were we, Flash? I think I was about to take your brains. But I just got a new one. So let me give you your... So ne- give me your heart. 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 And, and he's kind of stops, and he, he's kind of spazzing out there. And I love that, the way he just, his hair's weird back, and he's flaming up. And the next page, we see he's part Jason, part uh, Black Lantern Firestorm, trying to think the right word for him, as Jason's trying to reassert control. And this is where he lets us know that this new Black Lantern Firestorm has killed uh, Jason's girlfriend with his bare hands, or with his own hands. And he uses transmission pay- powers. like I think he turned her into salt, if I'm not mistaken. And then we get the, the Black Lantern Firestorm talking like we usually get Martin Stein doing. he's like, and next I'll turn the Professor's brain into water. And watch it spill out his ears. Let go of the will, dude. Let go now. <laughs> so I, I love this inner battle. It's coming outward battle between Jason and the Black Lantern Firestorm. Here on the bottom of the page, I say it's, it's part Black Lantern Firestorm, part Jason and it just looks really cool the way it's done. And all of a sudden, the Black Lantern Firestorm takes control again, which is Ronnie Raymond. He's like, you take Shotgun Geek, because I'm driving. Mm. And then from the wall busting in, we see Aquaman, again, who's a Black Lantern, because he's dead at this point, come busting in the wall. And this is where we get, I talked about in the synopsis, we get Ray Palmer the Atom. He's calling uh, 911. And I love, this is one of fire right, Firestorm, the Atom's, stand two powers, or go two powers. He shrinks down and drops to the phone lines. Uh, again, Adam's one of my favorite characters, so I love that this issue that I have got, actually, the Adam takes center stage, kind of, and he uses his powers. We see him jumping through the phone lines, so he calls 911, and he pulls him through, and we get the three uh, characters, Adam, Flash, and Mara, coming through this guy's headset, and the guy's like, what the heck? <laughs> It actually, like maybe they're coming through the computer, because it looks like the computer's being destroyed. Huh. But again, the artwork in this is very nice. The, uh, Jeff Jones did an excellent work on the writing. Uh, as, I, as I'll be talking about, this is a great crossover. And then we get, as I talked about synopsis, we get the, a Black Lantern, Azrael, who's a Batman character, killing people. And he walks right by the Scarecrow, because the Scarecrow the only fears Batman. That's what he says here. He's like, I want to feel the terror, but I'm immune to it, you see? I use my fear gas, oh, one too many times. I scare people, but nothing can scare me. Nothing. Nothing but the Batman. And we get a little powder indicator here saying it's at 95.45%. Again, I love the way that's done. Every once in a while just pops in here. Uh, Again, we get on this page here, we get Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. And as I've talked about on the other shows I've done on this crossover the Black Lanterns see things in color spectrum fear, will it shows like will shows up as green fear shows up as uh, yellow, rage or anger is red and so forth and when they look at the Scarecrow he's just gray he's invisible to them because again he doesn't feel anything at this point, he doesn't feel fear except for when the Batman's around but he doesn't really have any emotions at this point, because he's used his own fear gas on himself so much. He just kind of messed up his brain. Like we, you know Azrael walks up to him, he's just kind of seeing the black energy from the Black Lantern ring. His scythe or wrist blade, or whatever it is, on his wrist. Not oh, scythe, I guess. I guess it's just a. Uh, trying to get a good look at the picture here. It's a blade on his wrist. It's pouring off energy. It's just a great picture here. And like here at the very bottom, we get a close up of uh, Crane's eyes as he's saying, Nothing but the Batman. Where people screaming around him, Ah! It's great, great, great images. And then like this next page where we get the calculator talking to Lex Luthor and they're talking about the new Dr. Polaris and how they lost him, and Luther's saying, It's a tragic loss, I'm sure. The calculator's like, it was for business, Luther. And Lewis is like, Mr. Luther Calculator. I'm tired of you people getting too comfortable with me. Another example, you're invading my personal labs with this call. No one has this number. The calculator's like, I get paid because I have all your numbers, even yours. Luther's like, do you know me, people I've killed over the years? If the dead are rising, I'll have my own problems. To be thoroughly honest, I'm sick of you and the rest of these delusional scabs hugging the edges of my greatness as if somehow we're on the same team. Or not as he turns off the, the call, it's like as far as I'm concerned, every man for himself. And then on the screens behind him, we see uh, there's a whole bunch of screens showing deceased, dead people that apparently Luther has been responsible for. And like here in the back corner, we do see a green and purple Lex Luther power suit, he uh, used to wear that all the time back pre crisis. I, I love that when it shows up. And also, they comment on this that. This page shows that this is not the the pre-crisis Lex Luthor who was, I don't want to say buddy buddy, but he would team up with all these villains all the time and have these wacky adventures with them, if you will. Uh, this Luthor is th- this is the the uh, scientist Luthor that John Byrne created after the crisis. Uh, this is a the businessman. This is the the very powerful Lex Luthor. The Lex Luthor thinks he's above most of these petty criminals. And again, this is, like I say here, it's like, we're all the same team. We're not. <laughs> it's just Luther's arrogance and just bravado that he, that's, that's Lex Luthor. It's just great. I love that. And then we're back at the emergency room where the Flash is telling the Adam and Mary they need to find Alan Scott as he's a, a Green Lantern in quotes. He's not the same as Hal and the rest of the Green Lantern, but he does have a, a power ring that could help. And the 911's kind of help freaking out. Though, like The phone lines are overloaded. The other guy's like, my wife inside her home. What are we going to do? And Flash is handling the situation. He's like, you know, tell them to the inside. We're doing the same thing. Tell them the Just League is on this. And Ray's like, the Just League isn't on anything yet, Barry. And uh, Mary's like, we need to get the Wonder Woman and Superman. And Barry's like, right now you two are Superman and Wonder Woman. Mary's like, no, we're not. I'm a fish out of water here, Flash. And again, Flash kind of you know tells her, "Well, you've never been comfortable outside of Atlanta, so That stopped you from defending it." And, you know, we we knew more what's going on than anyone else. And then he turns to Ray and says, "You know, I know you've been through a lot with Jean and Sue." Uh, this refers back to Identity Crisis when again that was a hard series because <laughs> Jean, Loring Ray's uh, ex-wife, love interest. Ended up killing Sue Dibby, the elongated man's wife, because she wanted to put a fear into the superhuman community, so maybe she, Ray would t- take her back after she dumped him. Uh, I talked about that uh, here on my Head Speaks podcast here quite a while back before I started covering the you know, Armageddon two thousand one. Uh, again, that that series has some issues we're not going to get into right now, uh, but yeah, afterwards Ray shrunk down and disappeared but he's came back to help out and again uh, Barry's like but also you came back, you're here and sorry for the pun pal, but it's time to grow up grow the hell up and be the Adam again and Mara tells him that you know Arthur's gone, my son, Garth I have nothing to fight for, it's hard when you're not the outsider, and Flash is like are you kidding me Mara, do you have any idea how frustrating it is to slow down and even have this conversation, ready for that matter you both feel like Outsiders right now? Let me tell you something. Just League is made of Outsiders. The only one who didn't worry about fitting in was Hal. He let the rest of the world fit in around him. And again, Jeff Johns is a big Hal Jordan fan. I believe he, he wrote the Green Lantern Rebirth. He was one of the ones that brought Hal Jordan back after the whole Parallax thing. Um, I like Hal Jordan. I grew up with him on the cartoons. And he was Green Lantern when I started reading comics. I think that a lot of stuff was whitewashed because Jeff Johns was taking, I won't say taking control, but he was getting powerful at DC. And so he's able to get rid of a lot of what Hal did in the past. But uh, that's the topic for a different conversation for another time. But uh, since this is a Jeff Johns book, he does have to write about how Hal is. Uh, the, Different than everyone else, more I don't want to say powerful necessarily, but well, like Flash, he's got Flash saying here that you know, he didn't have to worry about fitting in, he made everyone fit around him. And a lot of these crossovers are hal centric, Green Lantern centric, because again, Jeff Johns appears to be a big Green Lantern fan. So, but having said that, I do like the fact that he does have a uh, buried saying that you know, Adam and Mara is the Superman and, and Wonder Woman. Mainly just because I'm a big Adam fan, but I do think, you know, Barry does give inspiring speeches, so that is something in his favor. <laughs> and then here at the bottom of page, I think it's 13, uh, Ray tells him, Mary to keep her eyes open when they go through the phone lines again, when he tried to, when he's transporting himself to where Mr. Mr. Terrific's at. He's like, flying through fiber optics and being beamed across from satellites across Earth puts on one hell of a light show. <laughs> So I do like that, you know, I've, I don't know, I've always loved the fact that Ray Palmer can shrink down to atomic size, if you will, and it goes to the phone lines, through satellites. Uh, that's just always been one of his powers, and I've always, I've always liked that. Uh, it makes him a little bit different than Ant-Man. I've never seen Ant-Man. I know Ant-Man shrunk down to, like, microscopic size, to the micro, microverse, whatever, but I don't think I've ever seen Ant-Man... Uses powers the way Ray does, and that's one reason I think why I like Ray Palmer better as a character than the Ant Man character, no matter who it is. Also because he's DC, and I'm a bigger DC guy. But you know, that's just me. Uh. <laughs> and then here on the next page, yeah, we get the, we get the Human Bomb, uh, we get Adam's Masher, Smasher. Uh, looks like still there in the background. I'm not sure which one offhand. Uh, Nucleon, it looks like a whole bunch of people just fighting these black lanterns. And again, it's just some great images of these these superheroes fighting these zombie characters. And then when Adam comes through and uh the T Mr. T Sphere T Sphere, it just explodes because of the uh the three humans coming out of it. <laughs> uh and Ray lands on top of Adam Smasher and both Adam Smasher and Damage like, Adam? Adam? <laughs> Again, just love the dialogue in here, the artwork. As Ray's standing on Adam Smasher's shoulder, he's like, oh, sorry for the T-sphere, Mr. Trivick. I'll have the League reimburse you later. <laughs> and then here at the bottom of page 15, we see Wonder Woman... Uh, fighting against Black Lanterns. And down here at the bottom we get Dove and Starfire and some of the other the, uh, Teen Titans or Titans, whatever you refer to them as. Again, big fan of Hawk and Dove. So I love when, I love seeing when Dove shows up. And then we get uh, Black Hand still walking around talking to Bruce Wayne's skull. And we still get the, the death indicator, if you will, powering up. It's at 97.77% at this point in the story. And as uh, Black Hand's talking to the skull, it goes up to 97.79. And then, here at the bottom of page 16, I'm going to say, we get a zombie fight Dr. Fate, Dr. Midnight, uh, Human Bomb, uh, what's her name? Phantom Lady, I believe it is, and some other members of the Just Society and the old school heroes coming back as zombies. The next page, I just love this image of Alan Scott Green Lantern using his ring and just just pouring green energy into the zombies. And it's not as quite as powerful as the Hal Jordan, as the regular Green Lantern ring, because it's a different type of green energy. But it does do a little bit against them. And then some more neat battle scenes between the zombies and our heroes. And there's a scene here where uh, the Golden Age Adam is fighting Damage, and Ray Palmer Adam jumps off of Damage's shoulder, and damage is like Adam, where are you going? And again, here at the top of the page, that I've talked about the Black Lanterns see things in the color spectrums: rage and fear and love, and as they're fighting, also. Here on this page page, page, page or number, I think it's page 20. Uh, we see we, we hear the Adam inside him talk. He's like, now if I can restrain your atomic punch, a little creative molecular juggling, and all of a sudden he just expands and just rips his way out of the Adam's the golden age Adam's body. That's just a great scene, it's just fantastic artwork the way it's drawn on there. And here at the bottom. Ray is just, when they look at him, they see he's full of hope. He's got the blue hope energy surrounding him, which come back later on. And as we're standing there talking, all of a sudden, just like a surprise, we get a hand ripping through Damage's chest and pulling his heart out. And we see a zombified Gene Loring standing there. And at this point, that power level indicator that's been ticking upward slowly... It's finally reached 100%. And Ray just stand there as he looks at his zombified wife or ex-wife holding, holding Damage's hearts. And she's saying, this will be twice after Turn Your Little World inside out. And again, Damage was a character that came out in the early 90s. I love the Damage's Damage's book. He uh, was a hero to explode. He was uh, like an offshoot of the JSA. I forgot offhand. They revealed who his father was. And I think it was supposed to be like Iron Monroe, but here they're talking like it was Ray... P- Al Pratt, so I forget offhand. I may need to go back and reread that Damage series at some point, because that was that was an excellent book. And then here at the bottom of the page, after we see the the power levels 100%, we see it again. And we see uh, Barry running, the lightning surrounding him. And this last panel, or this, it's one panel of him running, but the last image that we see like, is his skull and bones... As he grabs his head, as the energy level hits 100. And he hears the voice. He's like standing outside of Coast City saying, what, what is that? And then we go to Space Sector 666. where, And I believe that's where the Black Lantern started from. And then here on page 23, we see that the Black Lantern rising. I believe it's in uh, Coast City. We see the Black Lantern rising. A bunch of Black Lanterns around it. And we just hear the black lanterns flash, 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 flash. And the power's glowing. And here at the bottom of the page, we get a close up of Black Hand's face Necron, rise. And again, we we see here the next page just the hopelessness in Barry's face. He's like, How? Where the hell are you? As he sees the Necron rising, the Lord of the, the Dead, Black Hand, this black power battery. And all these black uh, rings coming out of the battery. And we get Necron saying, Co City, rise. Barry Allen, you owe me your life. You all do. As we get the residents of Co City rising from their graves. Just a great zombified panel here at the very end. Bodies crawling out of their graves. Uh, Do George Romero Proud, I think. And the, very, the little caption on the bottom, we see a close-up of Barry's face. His eyes are wide, like, oh, crap. Next, what is Necron? And yeah, it was a great story. I loved the artwork in it. It was just fantastic. It, I, if you guys didn't read this to begin with, definitely go back and read this. I can't do it justice with the praise I give it. But this was Black Night number four. It was a great issue. I really enjoyed it. Definitely recommend the entire crossover, as I'm a part of it, but I thought they did a great job on it. Uh, At this point, this this was getting near the end, in my opinion, of the DCU. This was like right before the whole uh, New 52 started, and... At this point here, this was actually after... I think this was after Infinite Crisis. This was after DC... and Both DC and Marvel were in the 2000s. They were doing crossover after crossover on top of crossover. They would do crossovers that lead into a new crossover. And again, I I love the crossovers. I've mentioned before on the show, I believe. But at this point, DC and Marvel was both just pushing pushing to the limits, because again, they, they didn't have a whole lot of regular stories for it sometimes. It would just be a crossover leading into the next crossover, which was set for the next crossover. And the crossovers would have not only the main book crossover, a lot of the, t- the regular DC titles, but then they'd have half a dozen tie-in miniseries. Which I think was a bad move on both DC and Marvel's part. Having so many books tied into crossovers, and having so many continuous crossovers. Having said that, The Blackest Knight was a really good storyline. Uh, I'm recording this beginning in May. And they've recently came out with uh, Deceased, their newest crossover. Which looks like it's a remake or a redo of The uh, Blackest Night. But instead of focusing on the Green Lanterns. It looks like it may be a Batman centric book because Batman's all the rage again. But in fact, I was talking about on a Facebook group I've mentioned before the United DC Comics group. It's very much a remake or a a modernized telling of Blackest Night. But I haven't read it, so I can't knock it. But they're going to have some hard work to do because Blackest Night was a great crossover as I've been going on about. Uh, But that's it for this title. Um, hold on one second. I'll tell you where to go next for more information on the rest of the crossover.
1: On your mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great for porn. I got a fast connection, so I don't have to wait for porn. What? some new sight. porn I browse all day and night For porn It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light or porn Trekkie. Internet porn Roman orgy scenes Internet porn Dominatrix queens Internet porn Girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep You're going surfing on the internet
0: Where is Head Going? And I haven't done this segment about a minute or so, so here we are back with Where is Head Going? And this month we are going to be talking briefly about the, well, J.L. May, the Black Knight crossover. As I talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, before you listen to this episode, you should have listened to the podcast of O.A., the Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, the Idol Head of Diablo, and the Fighter Water Podcast, which covers issues 0, 1, 2, and 3 of Blackest Night. Also, I covered uh, Suicide Squad 67 and Secret Six 17 and 18 over on Task Force X 45. And I talked about Starman number 81 on the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, I believe it was episode 25. Uh, Now that you've listened to this episode... You should go to the same place I'm going to be going, and we're going to check out the rest of the shows that are coming out as part of the crossover. Uh, it continues into the Coffee and Comics podcast with Black Night Number Five. Uh, make sure you have yourself a cup, of co- a cup of coffee as you sit down with Buddy Clinton Robinson to take a look at Black Night Number Five. He's a great guy, the great podcast. I can't wait to hear his uh, rendition of this. Then once he's done, head over to the Long Box Crusade. For Blackest Night number six. And then Blackest Nights number seventy, number seven and number eight is going to finish up in the Lantern cast. Uh, also, they're going to look at Green Lantern number 52. Also, some other podcasts are looking at some tie in issues. Uh, we got the Waiting for Doom guys, our friends from Down Under, looking at the Doom Patrol issues. And possibly Justice's First Dawn. May look at the Just League crossovers into this, and going back to our buddy Clinton, his coffee and comics uh, looks like he's gonna be looking at the Adventure Comics issues and the Untold Tales of the Black Black Knight. I'm sorry, Blackest Knight, Black Knight's a Marvel character, uh, and there may be some other ones along the way. Just keep your eye out for uh, your podcasters, search for JL May or Blackest Knight, and there may be some other ones joining in. Some other websites on the internet, some uh, I know. The guy's putting this on, so they're gonna try maybe get some other, just some bloggers to go along and do some stuff with it. So keep your eyes on the internet for May, The Blackest Night Crossover. Like I said, I, I enjoyed this series when it first came out. I'm enjoying my reread of it. I definitely recommend all these books, all these podcasts, and uh, be sure to write them all and let them know what you think about their shows. You know, again, we're, we're doing this for the love of the comics. Most of us will be doing it anyways. But as a podcaster myself, I know it does feel nice to hear from other people and have people let you know how you're doing. Also, my website, head.headspeaks.com, I will have show notes for this episode and I will list these podcasts I've talked about. I'll have the, the promo image we have up. So definitely go ahead and if you haven't done so, check out my site. I'll have all the li- I should have the links there if I can. And uh, I guess that's going to do it for this episode or this uh, segment of Where's Head Going. Join me. Let's check out the rest of Blackest Night and J.L. May. Now, give me just a minute here. I'm going to play a couple more commercial promos for you guys. And we'll be right back with my next segment. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages.
1: ago a crashing wave of light erupted across the DC universe a multicolored spectrum of energy bathed the cosmos in a war of light rage clashed against passion hope sought to stifle fear greed to choke out compassion and in the middle of it all the will to keep going and fight for all now this war has come to the surface of our planet because while the light fights the darkness rises. Hero. Villain. Friend. Foe. Family. Across the universe, the dead have risen. And it's going to take every available podcaster to fight back. In 2016, we covered the dawn of the Justice League with Justice League Year One. In 2017, we soaked in the seminal justice. Last year, we threw it back to the Silver Age. But this year's J.L. May podcast event covers an event that knows not the boundaries of death itself. J.L. May covers Blackest Night in celebration of the event's 10-year anniversary. Our coverage begins on April 30th with the podcast of OA and proceeds through the entire month of May with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idlehead of Diablo, The Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, the Dr. DC Podcast, the Birds of Prey Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, and Ends with the Lantern Cast. So join us this May, because across the DC Universe, the dead have risen. Where will you be?
0: tall chai. and a large black coffee
1: and i suppose you're here with no agenda as per usual on the contrary i'm here for comics i think i can help all of you hello i'm the caffeinated clinton Robinson, and i host a podcast called coffee and comics on this podcast i summarize review and discuss comic book issues stories and related media usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole.
0: It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s.
1: It's the establishment of the JSA.
0: It's the birth of the Silver Age.
1: It's the introduction of a universal police force.
0: It's the formation of the JLA.
1: It's the emergence of the multiverse.
0: It's a crisis in both space and time.
1: It's an emerald dawn,
0: and it's an emerald
1: twilight. It's the brightest day, and the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this, and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates, and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists.
0: So find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. And now back to Head Speaks. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed those promos. Uh, they're all part of the Jail May crossover. Definitely check them out. Uh, now for my next segment. <laughs> With Head. Uh, This month on At The Movies With Head, we're going to talk about this little movie I don't think anyone's heard of. It opened up. I think it made like a couple hundred dollars or so at the theater. Uh, It's called Avengers Endgame. It's the fourth Avengers movie. I'm going to talk briefly about that. Uh, Just a word of warning, there's going to be some spoilers ahead. I've seen the movie twice so far, and I am going to spoil the hell out of it. So if you haven't seen it yet, or if you care about spoilers, you may want to skip ahead. I'll have times in the show notes. Uh, this will probably be the last segment for today, anyways. But yeah, if you, again, spoilers abound. So I'm gonna play the promo for it, and that'll give you time if you don't want to hear any further to skip ahead or turn it off. But then we're gonna be talking about Avengers: Endgame.
1: Some people move on.
0: So there was one of the last trailers for Avengers Endgame. Uh, you have been forewarned. I am going to talk about the movie in full detail uh, and my thoughts on it. So let's go and get started. Again, this is Avengers Endgame, Avengers 4. In my opinion, it should be Avengers 5. Civil War should have been an Avengers movie, not a Captain America movie. But that's a different story entirely. Um, Avengers Infinity War told the story about Thanos trying to get the uh, Infinity Gems and pen in the Infinity Gauntlet because the the universe is overcrowded. And he figured if he wiped out half of the, the population of the universe, that'd make things better off for everybody else. Uh, just briefly talking about that, I understand they changed it from the comics. In the original comic storyline... He wiped out half the universe. He sent him to Lady Death because he was in, he was in love with Lady Death. In the Marvel universe, Lady Death is a is a concept of death, is a a woman. She's skeletal. She wears black robes, and Thanos is in love with her. So they, in the comics, I say he wiped out half the universe to win her favor. I understand why they would have changed that. Uh, for one. I don't know if the muggles, the the non geeks out there, would would understand Thanos Thanos being in love with the concept of death. The death as a woman. Also, the way they did it, they made Thanos more uh, relatable, more a uh, sympathetic character. He wasn't doing it to impress a woman; basically, he was doing it to help out the universe, and he has some valid comments. And as Captain America points out in the movie, I mean, he's seen Humpback Wells come back they haven't seen in years. Uh, Things are looking better without as many people in the world. So he's not entirely wrong, and that may be part of the reason why they made that change. But, again, if you haven't seen Avengers Infinity War, uh, you shouldn't be listening to this part because, again, we're basically a continuation of that movie. At the end of the movie, Thanos snaps his fingers. Can't snap right where I go. And half the world universe vanishes. People turn to the dust. Uh, we had a touching scene of Peter Parker struggling through it saying, I don't feel very well, Mr. Park- Mr. Stark. Uh, pull at the heartstrings. People vanishing left and right. Uh, the movie ended with uh, Maria Hill vanishing and... Nick Fury vanishing right after he pushes a button. Summons somebody we don't know. Well, again, if you're a geek, you know who it is. The page he has has the image of Captain Marvel's logo on it. He pushes. And then the next movie we got was Captain Marvel, which told her origins, how she met Nick Fury. Good movie overall, but there is some problems with it, but we're not, not here to talk about Captain Marvel. And then that led directly into Avengers Endgame. So let's go and talk briefly about the movie. I'm going to give a quick rundown on it. And again, I've seen it twice, but I didn't have... I wasn't able to take notes or anything. So I'm pulling this information from Wikipedia. Uh, Bear with me as I just briefly run through the the brief highlights of the movie. The movie takes place 22 days after Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet to disintegrate half of life across the universe. Uh, We get Tony Stark and Nebula in deep space stuck in a spaceship without any power. Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, rescues them, returns them to Earth, and the remaining Avengers, Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, Steve Rogers, Rocket Thor, the Black Widow, and James Road, a.k.a. War Machine. Uh, they track down Thanos, who's crippled, living in seclusion, and they plan on taking the stones and reversing what he's done, but they find out that he's already destroyed the Infinity Stones to prevent anyone else from using them. Uh, Thor, being extremely upset that he wasn't able to stop it to begin with and that they're too late now, chops off Thanos' head. We jump five years into the future where Scott Lang uh, escapes from the Quantum Realm. Uh, in between, again, between Avenity War and Endgame, there was a Captain Marvel movie and there was also the Ant-Man and Wasp movie. Uh, that movie ends with, at the very end, Ant-Man goes into a Quantum Tunnel doing some experiments While he's in there, Thanos does a snap, and both uh, Hank Pym and Wasp vanish from existence, leaving him trapped in there for five years. Uh, So he goes to meet Black Widow and Captain America at the Avengers Compound. Uh, Scott tells him that only five hours has passed since he went into the tunnel, as far as he's concerned. And that maybe they can use the quantum realm to travel in time and stop Thanos in the past. Uh, The three of them go and talk to Tony Stark, who is married, I'm assuming, to Pepper Potts. They have a small daughter named Morgan, which is a a throwback to the comic. One of Tony Stark's ancestors was named Morgan Stark. And they tell him it's their plans about building a time machine. Uh, He says it can't be done. Doesn't want any part of it. So the our three heroes, they meet up with the Hulk. Uh, Bruce Banner, who's permanently Hulk now, he's kind of the Professor Hulk. Uh, briefly, me talking, I love the Professor Hulk from the comics. That was when Peter David was writing the comic. He merged the Bruce Banner and the Hulk into one. And so he's always intelligent, always the Hulk. Love that storyline. There's kind of a touch on that, in my opinion. Meanwhile, Tony Toxic Pepper, and he comes up with a way to do the quantum tunnel, to do the time travel thing. So Stark joins the rest of the crew to build a working time machine. Uh, meanwhile, the Hulk and Rocket go to New Asgard, which is Norway, to recruit Thor, who has become basically a fat drunk. Uh, meanwhile, in Tokyo, the Black Widow finds Clinton Bar- Clint Bart... Clint... Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, I don't think they ever say his name in this movie, but now he's going, he, his costume is that of Ronan, uh, a character which I'm not getting into right now, but he's very much a vigilante going around killing people, uh, very much of a darker route at this point after his family disintegrated. We find out that time travel isn't like in the movies, for what the best they know. Uh, you can't go back in time. Like in Back to the Future, for instance, I throw that line out there a couple of times. And you can't change the past and change current time. Anything you do in the past won't affect our current timeline. Um, Part of this I'm pulling just from memory, from my knowledge of the comics. I'm not sure they explain it quite clearly enough. Maybe. I'd have to ask a layperson. Maybe I'll talk to my daughter and see what she thinks about it. But basically, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you time travel to the past... And you do something that changes time, it creates an alternate branch or the same way that Marvel Comics works. You can't change your present. If you go to the past, it'll create an alternate timeline or a what-if universe, if you will. So the team breaks up. So what they have to do is they have to get the gems from various points in time, bring them to the present. And they plan on bringing everyone back here and then return the gems back to their original locations. And that way, if they do that, it'll snap off all these alternate timelines. And the, the universe, or multiverse, if you will, will be none the worse for wear. So, uh, Banner, Rogers, Scott, and Tony Stark travels to New York City in 2012. Uh, this was during the time of the original Avengers movie, when the Chitauri was attacking New York. Banner visits the Sanctum looking for looking for Doctor Strange. Or he finds the Ancient One, because he's a little too early to meet Doctor Strange. And he convinces the ancient one to give him the time stone, and we get a little more about the time travel here, where she says that if you pluck the time travel or the time pluck one of the stones out of where they're at, it'll create an alternate branch, which could go really bad for that that alternate branch. And uh, Bruce Banner tells her what we put the stone back, it'll nip that branch and it'll go back to normal. So we get kind of our rules of time travel as we go along. Which I really like. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, Captain America retrieves the Mind Stone, which is in the uh, Loki's Hokey Pokey Stick, or Loki Pokey Stick, (laughs) that he used to control people. And Tony Stark and Scott Lang, uh, they try to get the the Tesseract, which was one of the stones, but... Hulk was taking the stairs. He comes busting out. Mayhem ensues and Loki's Loki's able to take the Tesseract and disappear in time. Or disappear somewhere. We don't know. Uh, so he has a space stone. He's able to vanish. So they give the Loki Pokey Stick to Ant-Man tell him to go return it back to present time. And Captain America and Iron Man, uh, or Tony Stark, he doesn't wear the, the Iron Man costume very much. He's not wearing it right now. They traveled to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters in 1970 to steal an earlier version of the Space Stone, a.k.a. the Tesseract, and more Pym Particles. Because they used the Pym Particles, they only had so many to get with. And so when they started their journey, they only had enough Pym Particles to go to their destination and return home. So Tony and Steve taking this little side trip, they don't have enough particles to get home. So they have to steal some more Pym Particles from the past. While in the past, Tony Stark meets his dad, Steve Rogers sees Peggy Carter, but their mission is successful. Uh, Rocket and Thor travel to Asgard in 2013 to achieve the Retali- Reality Stone from Jane Foster, which I believe takes place during the Thor's The Dark World, or right after. And they also obtain Thor's hammer, uh, Mjolnir. Maj- oh, I can never pronounce that. Uh, on Morag in 2014, Nebula and Rhodes they steal the Power Stone before Peter Quill him. Rhodes returns to the present with the Power Stone, but Nebula is able to return because her cybernetic implants interferes with those of the Nebula from 2014. Through this connection, Thanos learns about what happens in the future, and so he captures Nebula and sends the 2014 Nebula, who's still working for him. Back to the future to be a spy to help him out. Uh, Hawkeye or Ronan, whatever you want to call him, Clint Barton and Black Widow travel to Vermeer where the Soul keeper, the Red Skull, reveals it can only be acquired by sacrificing someone they love, a brief struggle, and Black Widow sacrifices herself allowing Clint to claim the Soulstone. Reuniting in the present, the Avengers create a new gauntlet, uh, Bruce Banner, Warning of the danger of using the stones, volunteers to wield it and restores all those who Thanos has disintegrated. Meanwhile, past Nebula uses a time machine to transport Thanos and his worship to the present. Thanos launches attack on the Miner's compound, planning on destroying the Earth and reclaiming the stones to once again erase and rebuild the universe. But this time instead of just, as I instead of uh, just snapping out half of the people, he's going to completely wipe out the universe and rebuild without any memories of the previous occupants of the universe. Uh, present day Nebula convinces the past version of Gamora to turn against Th- uh, Thanos, and is forced to kill her past self. Tony Stark, Tony Stark, yeah, Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, and Thor battle Thanos, during which time uh, there is a fantastic, lovely scene where Captain America picks up Thor's hammer and proves that he's worthy. Of wielding the hammer, it's fantastic! I love that. Uh, Stephen Strange arises as fellow sorcerers, the restored Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as armies of Wakanda, Asgard, and the Ravagers, to fight Thanos alongside Captain Marvel, aka Carol Danvers. After overpowering Thor, Captain uh, Steve Rogers and Carol Danvers, Thor seizes the gauntlet, but Stark seals the stones back and uses them to wipe out Thanos and his army. Again, killing himself. Following Stark's funeral, Thor points Valkyrie as the new ruler of Asgard, and he joins up with the Guardians of the Galaxy to go off to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Steve Rogers returns to the Infinity Stones, the original place and time, but instead of returning to his present time, he lives in the past with Sharon Carter. Uh, not Sharon, Peggy Carter. Sharon was her niece in the future, or the present. In the present time, at the end, we see an elderly Steve Rogers give his shield to Sam Wilson, A.K.A. Falcon, and that's where our story ends. So we're set up with a Guardians of the Galaxy three, maybe another Captain America movie with uh, Falcon being Captain America, and who knows what else. And the way the movie, the way the whole movie ends, it's kind of the end of an era. They do the credits. They show the main cast, uh, the the subcast. And then they show the main Avengers, and when they do that, they have like their signatures across the screen as it shows their names. It's very much, to me, ending of a legacy. This movie is also, uh, from my understanding, has a very unique position of having Stanley's very last cameo. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you didn't catch it, it's back when Tony Stark and Captain America go back to the uh, military base in the 70s. Uh, Stanley's Joan a car by with a babe by his side saying, Make love, not war. A uh, great scene, loved it. Love seeing Stan, though. It was sad that in theory this is going to be his last final hurrah. Stanley, you will be missed. Okay, now that that's what we're done with, let's get on to my thoughts. That's my daughter laughing in the background. Uh, my thoughts on the movie overall. So sorry. My daughter's got a YouTube channel, GalaxyGamer1988. Yes. Uh, if you, she plays video games, ro, uh Roblox, whatever it is, and these other stupid please, games. Please subscribe. If you're into that, check it out. Make her happy. But enough I'm about her. We're here to talk about me, <clears throat> and my thoughts on please. the Avengers Endgame. Overall, I, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm not gonna hide the the headline. I enjoyed Avengers Endgame. I don't know if it was the best of the Marvel movies, just because Marvel has been hanging out of the ballpark with their movies. But it was a great movie. It was a great sequel to Infinity War. If it was a final Avengers, a final, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Aven- final Avengers movie starring the original Avengers. It was a great ending point for that. It was just a great movie overall. Uh, some specific points. I I love the time travel aspect. I do love that they made reference several times to Back to the Future. And when me and my daughter was sitting there and whenever they make these references, my daughter, having seen Back to the Future, nudged me and and pointed them out to me also. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love Back to the Future. So So I I love any reference to them. Or to the movie. Like
1: Back to the Future, like, about the time traveling and like it's not how it works then why is back to the future lying to us yeah, that, like that my daughter
0: Alexis Moss uh she's <laughs> piping with her thoughts on it uh yeah it was great I enjoyed the, the time travel aspect and I do enjoy that they basically and a lot of people complain that these are plot holes uh, they don't know how to use terminology properly I don't recall any plot holes offhand uh, a couple of things about the movie. Well, I say it does involve time travel. So, basically, the, T, the Avengers went back into the past. They took the stones from where they were. They brought them to the future. Doing that created alternate realities, uh, possibly one for each stone that was taken. Taken? Taken. So, there were six alternate realities to begin with. But, when Captain America was returned the stones, that should have clipped those alternate realities and and... So they're not there. But when the movie ends, we still have two alternate realities left out there. We have one reality where... Actually, maybe three. Maybe four. One where... Uh, one where uh, Loki steals the Tesseract and vanishes into the Avengers. And goes off to create havoc. Again, a lot of people you know, think, well, how could anything else happen after that? Again... They'd affect their timeline. That created an alternate reality where Loki's running around causing trouble. The second one is uh, right around 2014, I believe it was, Thanos and his armies vanish. They come to our present time. They get obliterated. So in that second time, alternate timeline, he wasn't there to put the stones together. In that alternate reality, half the universe didn't disappear for five years. A third alternate reality, in my opinion, is when Steve Rogers returned all the stones, nipped all those budding uh, alternate timelines. He stayed in the past and married Peggy Carter. Uh, in, I think it was Winter Soldier or Civil War, one of them, it was mentioned. That I think it said, I, I can't remember, I need to watch these movies again. But I think it was said that she was married and had kids They never mentioned who her husband was so it could have been it could have been Steve Rogers that could have been the time or the plan for time all along. I
1: think it was Civil War.
0: If not my daughter thinks it was in Civil War. If not that is a third alternate reality where Steve Rogers marries uh, Peggy and they have a happy life together until he's an old man. A possible fourth at the end he gives he gives Falcon his shield. During his battle with Thanos his current shield is destroyed. It's broken in half. It's just beat the hell and back. It's basically destroyed. So it depends on where he got this this shield he gave Falcon at. If he took it from someplace in time, that may have created an alternate timeline where Captain America doesn't have a shield or maybe he's got a different shield. I don't know. It didn't explain that. So my reckoning, unless I miss something, there's about three or four different alternate realities left out there. But all these realities, in theory, have their stones, so none of them ended badly.
1: Besides the one with Loki.
0: Because Medar said, except for one that ends with Loki, but we don't know if that ends badly or not. It's just, he'll get captured later on. But when uh, Banner was talking to the Ancient One, the Ancient One, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be him or her, in the comics it was a him.
1: It was her.
0: But it's played by a woman in the movie, so... She was saying that without the Infinity Stones there, that the worlds will go bad and will be uh, will be bad for those worlds. So since the stones are there, I believe these are three or four alternate realities where things probably turned out fine in the long run. And that's the time travel aspect of it. Also, we do have a Gamora, as I talked about. She died in the last movie. Thanos sacrificed her for the stone. And she came from 2014, and she was left alive here at the end of the movie. But at the very end, Peter Quill was searching for her. He couldn't find her. So we're not quite sure what happened to her. She took off for some reason. Uh, this was a, a Gamora that wasn't in love with Peter Quill. In fact, there's a funny scene when uh, <laughs> Nebula, I guess, tells tells her that, you know, she falls for Peter Quill. And she meets Peter and, you know, kicks him in the nuts and knocks him down she looks over at uh, Nebu like, him? And Nebu's like, damn, that's a choice. It's either him or a tree. <laughs> just love that dialogue. And again, the dialogue in this movie was great throughout. I, I thought it very fitting. Well,
1: but that was sad when he died, though. Uh,
0: again, I do mention that. I did mention that. This did have Stan Lee's final, final cameo. Yeah.
1: I enjoyed seeing
0: Stan Lee in it. Uh, at the very end, as I talked about, Steve Rogers retires. He's an old man. Again, they could do something with Steve Rogers because, again, he could have time-traveled. He could have went to the future for an adventure, a future Avengers movie if they can get Chris Evans back. Or they can do a series on Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever showing maybe he had Adventures in Time or what happened when went back with Peggy. That's not completely sealed off. But then, yes, Iron Man did die. Um, there was a kid at the funeral. I don't recognize who it was offhand. Online, they were saying it was the kid from Iron Man 3. Uh, He could become Iron Lad, the new Iron Man. Or they could go the way of the comics and introduce Riri Williams, the young black girl who became uh, Iron Man for a while. And now she's going by... Oh, I forget what she's called now.
1: Iron Woman. She's
0: got her own comic out now. But they could introduce Riri as a black woman or black girl, becomes Iron Man. Uh, There's several different possibilities they could go with Iron Man at this point. So they haven't closed off the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe is still there. There are still possibilities for movies, TV shows, whatever they want to do. They could do a show or a movie on Loki and his misadventures, running with the Tesseract. Um, plus all the other characters they haven't introduced into the Marvel Universe yet. Supposedly uh, Adam Warlock is going to show up, I think, in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I hear they're gonna introduce Battery Bill and, and Gardens Galaxy 3s possibly. So again, there's a whole bunch, a whole swath of Marvel characters they could still introduce. Um, any other thoughts on this movie? I see a great movie. I love Scott Lang coming out of the the quantum realm five years later, but my, for him it was like five hours. and uh, he gets out and he finds out that, you know, his girlfriend and her dad are are gone, vanished. Uh again great just some great dialogue some great emotional scenes in this movie uh, in fact I know the second time we went and watched I was sitting next to this uh, young lady was sitting next to me and if one I forget which one it was one point uh, she she was crying a little bit she had some tissues and she's wiping her eyes and I I kind of looked over it. she looked at me was like I'm not crying you're crying <laughs> it made me laugh but Again, yeah, Avengers, Endgame, if you haven't seen it yet, what are you doing listening to this? Uh, the movie itself was just over three hours long. Well deserved, I think. I, I was trying to trying to time it like half, an hour and a half into it and see if maybe they could have cut it in half there. But I thought it was great as was. Yes, I'm sure if I watch it again, I, I can probably find some points to nitpick. You can with any movie. Uh, overall, it was... Boy, I, I didn't notice any major plot holes, any major issues with it. At first, I got thinking, well, wait a minute. If Thanos died, got wiped out, when he, he didn't go back to the past to do what he did, how this all happen? But then I remember, no, it's an alternate timeline. So there's an alternate timeline where none of that happened, and people are happy. But and a lot of people complained that we didn't see a lot of the uh, blowback from people missing for five years. But that's not what this movie was about. Uh, this movie is about them correcting that and fixing the world. Uh, that could be an interesting TV series for Hulu or Disney Plus. Showing maybe the lives of some of the people. Or, I, I don't know. Could be interesting. Or maybe like in the future movies they can reference it. I know Peter Parker, he returned. He went back to school and he saw his buddy Genki. I mean, Ned leads there. And Ned looked about the same age. So apparently Ned disappeared. Apparently, uh, what's her face? Michelle... That horrible character I hate from Spider-Man: Homecoming. Apparently, she disappeared too because she's about the same age. Be interesting to see what they do in, in the next Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, as far as how many of his friends disappeared and returned, and maybe they'll touch on a little bit on that in that movie. I'm kind of hoping it'd be interesting to see, especially since so many of them it looks like disappeared. I'm hoping that, uh, in quotes, Flash Thompson either disappeared didn't reappear or he didn't disappear and he's aged and he's out of the movie. I hated that character because he's not the real Flash Thompson, in my opinion.
1: No, he isn't.
0: But my daughter's sitting there agreeing with me. He's like,
1: literally... Like, I don't know even what he is. (laughs) It's like... My
0: daughter, when it comes to comic book movies, is very much like me, very opinionated. And uh, I love
1: her. It's like, what (laughs) the heck?
0: Like... Um, I did. I did love the scene between Tony Stark uh, when he, he when he met his father. He told him his name was Howard Uh-oh. Potts, and so he got a chance to talk with his dad. Give, <laughs> awkward scene there before he left. He gave his dad a hug. Is that like, what the heck? It's Howard, like
1: a meaningful hug.
0: Howard Stark's like, what the heck? <laughs> that was a great scene. But I enjoyed that dialogue between them. I enjoyed seeing again the Red Skull guarding the Soul Stone, the little fight between them. I'm
1: like, is that the Red Skull? My
0: question, yeah, my daughter's like, is that the Red Skull? What the heck? But I, I, Wait, didn't he die? Yeah. Well, he vanished in the Captain America movie. Yeah. When he touched the Tesseract. So apparently, he came into the Soul Universe, Soul Stone Universe, and is guarding the Soul Stone at that point. Or something, we don't know for sure.
1: Oh, because it was back in time. Okay.
0: My, my halfway question, because I know it's not going to happen, but, If Steve Rogers returned the Soul Stone, does that mean he gets Black Widow back? Gets her soul back and can bring her back to life? I know it's not. It's a one-way deal, but I'm just curious how he returns the Soul Stone. Uh, I'm just curious about... You had to give up a life to get the Soul Stone. It seems fair to me that if you give the Soul Stone back, you get that life back. I doubt that's going to happen, but that could be a cop-out or a way they could bring Black Widow back if they want. I hear rumors there's supposed to be a Black Widow series on... Uh, Hulu or Disney Plus or one of those. If they do, that could be it. Could either be past stories or it could be that's how they get her back. I don't know. I, I do enjoy the fact that Nebula was part of the reason why they defeated Thanos. Sort of. Uh, she was also part of the reason that Thanos was there because in the original comics, Nebula uh, had a big hand in defeating Thanos and restoring the universe. So I like that she did, kind of, you know, she did have a little bit of a hand in that. I a lot of people complained about Captain Marvel showing up and being invincible and being, you know, girl power. I I thought that? she, you know, she showed up out of the blue, she destroyed the ship, and yeah. again, she was very much her character, very cocky, very stand back, let me handle this. She gave Thanos a couple of good whacks, but then Thanos wiped his butt with her and threw her away. I thought that was great. Uh, nothing against Carol Danvers, but i do like the fact... in the i Cara
1: Danvers. I'm just kidding. Wrong universe. <sighs>
0: Shh. Uh, I, I do like the fact that, yeah, she wasn't... You know, she came in all cocky, and he kind of wiped the floor through threw her to the side. We didn't see much of her after that, so we didn't get to see if that affected her anyway, if maybe she's not as cocky now. So we didn't get her character arc on that, but I enjoyed that. I mean, Wanda did almost as much damage, if not more, than than Captain Marvel did. So uh, there was one scene in there where they had all the females showing up, uh, kind of a female empowerment, a a Avengers type thing.
1: Where was the Uh, wasp at the funeral? Who? Wasp.
0: She was dead. Oh, the wasp. No, she was there. Yeah, she she was. was At the very end, when they had the funeral for Tony Stark, yes, Wasp was standing there with Hank Pym and she, wa-
1: she was yes
0: she was standing there with hank pym and janet pym and uh ant-man oh but yeah that's my daughter popping her two cents in uh but i was talking about the the a avengers which was like an all-female avengers team they kind of may represent that, that all the females show up a lot of people on facebook i've seen complained about that oh they're pushing a feminist agenda. You, people don't bitch when you got a team of all men today. When I mean, you get the Hulk and Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor standing there ready to take someone on, you don't complain about that. So I didn't have a problem with the, the women ready to take on Thanos. My only problem with that scene was the wasp showed up. Before that, she and Ant Man flew off to the van to get the quantum tunnel in there ready so they get the stones back to where they go to get them away from Thanos. And. Next thing you know, she pops up all these other heroes, because they're trying to get the gauntlet to Ant-Man to get it through the portal to get rid of it, so Thanos can't do anything with it. My thing, if it was so easy for her to get back, and so quick for her to get back to join all these females fighting, why didn't she just take the gauntlet, shrink down, fly back the way she came, and get it back quicker? Uh, nitpick, but I, that was my only complaint with that scene is they, that wasp was kind of thrown in there, because they wanted to have all the female superheroes involved. But the wasps kind of stood out just because she was with Ant Man moments earlier. I thought that was bad form. Other than that, I, I can't think of any real complaints about the movie other than that. That'd probably be my biggest complaint with it. Uh, I do love that. Like I say they, they did show a scene with Captain America at a uh, an AA type meeting, talking to people you know about losing people five years ago with the Thanos snap and.
1: I remember, um, they briefly
0: touched on Matt's.
1: Oh, remember Spider Man,
0: though? What I else, Spider Man? Remember
1: Spider Man ex- explaining to
0: Iron Man? Oh, when Spider Man re- reappeared, he was trying to explain to Iron Man what happened. That, you know, I wasn't feeling well, and then I was there, and then Stephen Strange was there, and he said, It's been five years, we gotta go save the world, let's go. We gathered up all these people. The only thing that the movie was missing was I forget the actor's name off Pina, Michael Pena. the guy from Ant Man. Uh, Ant Man's buddy, we needed him there somewhere. And like people say, man, at the very beginning of the movie to explain what happened previously. Yeah, then this happened. and, then, and I, yeah, I just love the way Malcolm Pena acted in the Ant Man movie. So I think it would have been nice to have him there doing something. Uh, great oh, character. Yeah. But overall, yeah, Avengers Endgame, great movie. I definitely recommend go checking it out. And I can't wait to see what the Marvel Universe does next. Um, Let me see. Tony Stark's dead. Captain America's old. Thanos was killed twice. Had his head chopped off. Then he was wiped out from the world. Um, They've got some movies set up. They could end it there if they want to. Um, Just trying looking through the... uh, Looking through the Wikipedia on Avengers Endgame. See if there's anything I missed. But yeah, it was... Yeah, Natalie Portman yeah, showed up briefly yeah, as Jane yeah, Foster. Okay. okay, so I guess you know, so I guess Natalie Portman showing as Jane Foster with some unused footage from *Through the Dark World. And there were some new voiceovers from Portman recorded. And that's what I was trying to think. I'm looking at the notes here. Uh, Jim Starlin, who created Thanos, showed up in the AA meeting as one of the grieving people. I love that Jim Starlin, the guy that created Thanos, had a cameo in the movie that was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Avengers Endgame, it's made like a gajillion dollars or something like that. I don't know exactly how much, but their budget was $356 million, according to Wikipedia. And their box office was $1,915 billion. Billion, with a B. And it's only been out for like a week or two. This movie's huge. A lot of people are going to diss it just because it's a Marvel movie or just because it does so great. But you know what? I I think that they're doing a great job with it. I'm definitely uh, enjoying it. and I can't wait to see more. Uh, looking at Wikipedia, other projects they say they have coming out. Uh, Black Widow. Uh, they're looking maybe exploring her past in a solo film. Uh, the Internals. Not a huge fan of them. Not very familiar with the Internals. They're they're gar they're. Uh, Superpowered god type creatures. Uh, Shang-Chi, possibly. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, of course, as we talked about. A Doctor Strange sequel. A Black Panther sequel. Ant-Man and the Wasp sequel. A Captain Marvel sequel. A Thor Ragnarok sequel. And then they're supposed to be redoing Blade with uh, Wesley Snipes reappearing. So that could be interesting. Uh, but, anyways, definitely. <clears throat> I've talked about this long enough, I guess. Go ahead and check it out if you haven't. Again, if you haven't, why are you listening to me really talk? Like a movie. My daughter thinks it's a really good movie. What was your best part of the movie, honey?
1: I would say the cat, but
0: that was part of Captain Marvel. The what? The cat. Oh, Darwin. no, that was Captain Yeah, the cat scene was in Captain Marvel. I hated the cat. I hate cats. Uh, what was your favorite part of Endgame? No? Okay.
1: Um, wait. I was putting her on the
0: spot and seeing if she had an answer, but she does have one right offhand, so.
1: No? Back to the
0: Future references. Yeah, she likes all the Back to the Future references. Again, my she's my favorite. daughter. She's a little geek. So yeah, she loved all those references. Anyways, uh, that is me talking about Avengers Endgame. Uh, that's going to do it for this part. Uh, again, if I, I talked earlier about the Black Knight crossover. Go check out all those podcasts. Uh, leave me some feedback. Again, you can send me an email to head at headspeaks.com. You can go to the website, head.headspeaks.com. Go to the Facebook page for Head Speaks or the Headcast Network. Leave a message on there. Uh, go to your podcatcher. If you use Apple Podcasts or whatever you use, leave me a rating on there. Leave me a feedback. I would love to hear from you guys. What do you guys, did you guys enjoy the Avengers End Yeah, try that in English. Did you guys enjoy the Avengers Endgame? Let me know what you think. Um, but I guess that's going to do it. Be sure, like I say, leave me some ratings, leave me some feedback. I want to hear from everybody. Subscribe to
1: Galaxy Gamer 198.
0: Subscribe to Galaxy Gamer one nine eight eight. My daughter's totally YouTube thing. Um, also, uh, speaking of plugging, I gotta do some more work on it, but I do have a Patreon page up. It's uh, patreon.com slash headcast network. Uh, check that out. Uh, if you'd be so kind, if you enjoy what I'm doing, uh, throw a, throw a few bits in the in the can. I'd appreciate that. I'll do talk more about that later on. I just want to get something up, uh, but we'll talk more about my Patreon page in the future. I'm running about an hour and a half on this, so we're going to go and end this here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, we'll see you guys next month when I get back to my um, what am I doing? My uh, oh, what are you doing? Armageddon 2001 crossover. We're in the last, final leg of that, the last couple issues of the Armageddon 2001 crossover. I've got some more guests lined up. After that, I think I'm going to go back and look at the Atom again. And I've looked at the, the, uh, Sword of the Atom miniseries and the specials. I think we're going to continue on and look at the Power of the Atom. It was an 18-issue series from DC Comics, late 80s, early 90s. Again, as I've said multiple times, that is my that is my era from 85 to 95 is my golden age of comics. So come back next month. I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing. I know I'll be talking about the next part of Armageddon 2001. I think it's Hawk and Dove. And I think I've got Jonathan and maybe his wife Maggie uh, Schaefer-Hames from the Merit of Comics podcast and the Rod Pod, I think it is looking at the uh, Transformers IDW series. A great couple. I know at least I've talked with uh, Jonathan about doing the Hawk and Dove issue with me. In fact, we may do some more Hawk stuff in the future. Uh, He's interested in that. So keep an eye out for that. Just because I don't do enough podcasts as it is. But you know what? I guess that's going to do it. You want to say goodbye, Lexi? Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening. Uh, And that's it. Remember, Remember... Ed has spoken. Thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google, Plus, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X where monthly I look at John Ossinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also over on G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast, my podcasting friends, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at HeadSpeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on HeadSpeaks are o- owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of HeadSpeaks. Unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. HeadSpeaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, are all part of the HeadCast family. So, join us next month for another wonderful episode of HeadSpeaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.